Amen. Well, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're on uh, our Corinthians series, and we're on chapter 5 today. I want you to turn to chapter 5, but I want you to hold your finger there, and I want you to go to John chapter 8. We're going to read that first today. Uh, chapter 5 is a, uh, probably a chapter you don't spend a lot of time in. And uh, chapter 5 is something that we just kind of read through, and um, it's dealing with a difficult subject. In fact, I'm just going to be honest with you. Some of the things we're going to be dealing with in the next couple of weeks are controversial. Okay? So um, it's going to be good though, right? Amen? And so, uh, um, but we're dealing with one that is controversial, controversial, is controversial even in their time. You know, one of the greatest truths of Christianity is freedom. Christ has made us free. Amen? And so when Jesus becomes our Savior... We are set free from the bondage of sin. Sin does not have power over us. Remember, only time sin has power over you is because you gave it power. That's the only way sin has power over you. And and I'm not and probably every single one of us has done that, okay? Even since we've been saved. How many of you guys have sinned after you gave your 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 life to Jesus? Just raise your hand. If your neighbor's not raising your hand, tell just lift it up for them because they're having problems with their arm, okay? So um, and so all of us have sin, and we've done that, but the only reason we have sin is because we've given sin power. We've given it the ability to have authority in our lives. And so John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus talks about this, and listen to this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, abide means to live in. If you abide or live in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth... And the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be free? By the way, that was a lie. They've been in bondage numerous times because of their sin. You have been made free. How can you say you have been made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a what? Slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen? And so freedom is part of who we are as Christians. Now, that freedom doesn't allow us to do whatever we want, right? What it does allow is us to be set free from bondages of, the, of slavery in sin. Sin does not have power over us. So in freedom, we have as believers that there is now no condemnation for those who believe in Christ Jesus. There's now no condemnation. And the Christian, the believer, rests and trusts in the finished work of the cross that Jesus died on. And so through Christ, since he died on the cross and we received him as Lord and Savior, and through him... Christ has set us free. So freedom is designed by God to be used in a certain way. But it is possible for freedom in Christ to be misused. And this is what's happening in the Corinthian church. Now Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, you don't have to turn there. In fact, you can follow along in our notes on our app. If you don't have our app, you can download it at your app store, search for Cornerstone KC. But Galatians 5 1 says, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made you free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So even after we've received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, there can still be an entanglement because we allow that to happen in our lives to sin. 
Now, verse 13 says this, for, your bre- for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. We've all been called to have freedom, freedom from sin. We're not, we are sons and daughters of the king. So we, we have been transformed, and, and we should continue to be transformed in, in the likeness of God. He says, you've been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so the church in Corinth here was confused about their freedom in Christ. They were misusing their freedom that they had as believers in Christ, and they were continuing to sin, and they thought it was okay. So the Corinthians' misuse of their freedom was so flawed, it was so bad, that even the Gentiles didn't support it. Isn't that crazy? The world that didn't know Jesus that has no ability to escape from their sin, was coming against the church for their sin. And see, that's what happens when we want to be relevant to this world. We try to become so relevant, we don't give them a different model. We become like them. And so what the church in Corinth was, they had not, remember, they, they were believe, were just, they were getting saved, they were, had this church, and they were not repenting, not changing, not leaving the sin that Jesus had made them free from. Now, this is the second report of what Paul had received in Corinth. The first report was what we, we've dealt with, we're going to deal with it more in July, about the factions and divisions in the church. But this report was now, he was dealing with the sin issue that had happened in the church. And so Paul recounted the gospel and explained how leaders were to be viewed. Last week we talked about that. Now Paul in chapter 5 here, he's going to explain two things to the, to the Corinthian. Paul confronts the Corinthians, the church here, about their sin. And Paul will also going to describe what's the appropriate action to deal with people who are unrepentant and in sin and refuse to change. And we call it church discipline. So let's read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. Don't worry, I'm going to explain that. And look at this, verse 2. And you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I was present, judged him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let's keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexual more people of the world or with the covetous or the extortioners or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. 
But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexual, sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what I, I have to do with judging those who are, outside, who are outside, meaning those who are unsaved, do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves this evil person. Wow, there's a lot into this. So I'm going to go through it pretty quickly. But I'm going to talk about how, how the Lord views us and how he wants us to handle this. So the main person in the story is this son who has taken his father's wife. Now this uh, woman is probably, most theologians believe, it's not his birth mother. Man, that would have been a whole new level of sin right there, right? But rather, it's his stepmother. And so this woman's probably not a believer, because she's not addressed here. So this wife was not a believer. And because Paul doesn't call it adultery, it may mean that the son had caused the breakup of his father's marriage. And the point is, this, this is the point, the whole point in this, it is sexual immorality. Now let me give you a de- definition of sexual immorality from Genesis to Revelation. There's one definition. Now, the world is going to tell you there's many definitions, but there's not. They all mean the same thing. Sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is sexual immorality. Okay, I want, I want to repeat that. Okay, I want to make sure you know this. this is, there's no other definition. Um, I didn't write this. I, I didn't make this up. This is what the definition is. Sexual immorality. So when Jesus talks about sexual immorality, this is what he's talking about. When Paul or Peter or, or, or Moses or anybody talks about sexual immorality, this is what they're talking about. Is any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Okay? So the church in Corinth has responded in arrogance to the sexual immorality by boasting by glorifying in it and thinking it's okay. Now, I, I heard of a, a quote one time. I don't know who it's by, but I heard this quote. It says, Sin, once tolerated, seeks to be accepted. And once accepted, seeks to be celebrated. We're kind of going through this month right now, right? So sin needs to be tolerated. And once it's tolerated, now this can be in your life, because this is what happens to us, right? Is when, I, when we sin, or I sin, and I'm not repentive of it, that means I'm not changing, I'm not, there, there's a sorrow, so we should be sorrow for our sins, right? Not condemned, not shameful, because Jesus took that upon him. But when we sin, we realize that we made a mistake, that we allowed sin to have control over us again, and we need to repent. That means to change. We need to go a different direction, change our thinking, change directions. Okay? And so when sin happens in us and we don't do those parts, guess what? We do it. We start tolerating the sin. And guess what we're wanting to do? We're going we're gonna to start accepting it as this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I want to do. So it needs to be accepted. So sin tolerated seeks to be accepted. But then it doesn't stop there because that's not enough. Because once accepted in your life, because you'll start defending your sin. It could be anger. You could be defending your anger because of things that are going on in your life. But, there's, but anger can be sin. 
right? The men just learned about that today. So you can try to accept it. Once you try to accept it, now it's going to be celebrated. And we see that throughout this world, that sin, tolerate it, accept it, and then seeks to be celebrated. So the Corinthians are not aware of this pride that they have. And, uh, and so pride is a sin. And what, what does pride and what does sin do? It blinds. And so they're blinded by it. So the first and fundamental sin, in essence, aims at enthroning itself at the expense of God. It, your sin, if you are in sin and you continue, and a lot of us have been there before, every single one of us probably in some way, hopefully you're not there now, but if you're there now, quit, stop doing the sin and realize it's wrong, it's killing you, it's hurting you. Every sin leads to death. That's, that's, that's the judgment on sin. We, we think God's going to judge sin. He's already done it. It's called death. He's already done it. He doesn't have to keep on judging everybody's sin. Sin is death. It leads to death, whether it's death in relationships, death in, in relationship with you and God, death, death in, in uh, other things in your life, and even physical death. It will lead to death. And so sin, its whole purpose is to enthrone itself at the expense of God. That now that sin, since it's tolerated, accepted, now celebrated, becomes your God. It becomes one of the most important things in your life. And remember a couple weeks ago, a couple, uh, well, a couple months now, the, the series we did, did Walk Like Jesus, Live Like Jesus. What did we say? What Jesus are you following? Because trust me, when we allow sin to have its way in us again and we give it authority, guess what we start making up? We make up our own Jesus to follow. And that's what was happening here. In fact, the Corinthians, just like anybody else, were following. Remember what we talked about last week about having the correct view of leadership was going, I follow this guy. And a lot of times why they follow that person is because it fits their lifestyle. That's why you can't just pick out your own sermons to listen to because you're going to pick out your, your sermons you like, right? That's going to encourage you, that's, but maybe not challenge you, right? I mean, I don't think anybody looked in YouTube lately and looked, find someone who's preaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That's just not the go-to scripture for the encouragement of the believer, right? Come on. And so that's what, that's what was happening in here because they were just following other people that maybe not saying correctly what Scripture was. So Paul has mentioned their arrogance and, he's, and boasting some five times already in, in chapter 5. And Paul's not surprised by their sin. He's surprised by their response to sin. Look at verse 2. And he says, And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. You know, a humble response to sin is to weep. Not to weep in shame, not to weep in condemnation, but weep that, hey, I screwed up. And it caused something between me and God. A humble response is to mourn in sin. They weren't mourning in sin, they were celebrating the sin. In fact, celebrating it, that it's losing their, um, everything that they had with the, the outside world of the church, their influence. It was ruining their influence with the Greek people because they were looking in and says, we even know that's wrong, and you are still doing it. 
So the appropriate action here, because of the sin, is what we call church discipline. Paul says, and this is, this is hard, and I'm going to explain this, okay? Remove him from your midst. Man, that's rough, isn't it? Remove him from the church. Now, Jesus taught in some ways how to do this. Turn over to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. He says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if, you, if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him become like a heathen and a tax collector. I, just, I don't know why. It's always tax collectors are related to heathens. I don't know why. But Sorry if you were for the IRS. He's not talking about you in Jesus' name, right? But it's just, I just always laugh at that. So here's a simple step. If someone is in sin, now this isn't just for Pastor Sean to do. So don't just, you don't run to me and say, da 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 da, I did this, you need to go talk to him. I'm going to look at you and I'm going to ask you, did you talk to him? Because what you're doing right now is called gossip. Okay? So I'm going to tell you, did you have a private conversation? Have you talked to that person first? And if you haven't, then the next thing is to have a conversation with this person with witnesses. And it probably should involve leaders of the church if they're seeing it also. If they're not, then you need to find somebody who's also seeing it. Then it comes to a public confrontation by the church. That's what it does. So these, this, he's talking about people who are unrepented sin. And this rep- responsibility falls on every single member of the church. If we do not confront, we fail to love. I got to say that again because that just wasn't good enough. If we do not confront, we fail to love. If you will not tell someone the truth, because listen, what does sin do? It blinds, right? If someone's in sin, they may not realize what they're in. It's our job as believers, as in the family of God. Now, he's talking to the family of God. He's not talking about the outside world. He's talking about you and I. If we see someone sinning and we know it, then we must confront. That's what love does. Because it's going to sin. Because that what sin leads to what? Death. And so we need to acknowledge that. And this is our responsibility. And so why is this this strong reaction? Why does Paul judge this man's action? And Paul explains this. Look at verse 5. He says, deliver such a one. This is one who is unrepentant. This is one who says, I'm not sinning. I'm going to keep on doing it. I don't care what you say. I don't care what Pastor Sean says. I'm going to still do this. This is what Paul says. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. First, you are to deliver this man's flesh to Satan for destruction so that he may be saved. Now, discipline is this. Discipline is always about redemption. It's never about punishment. We, like, we think it's punishment because that's, that's a sin nature. But it's not about punishment. It's about, it's about redemption. It's not, it's, not, it's not about consequences. It's, about, it's a higher purpose. Our whole goal, if we ever had 
take someone out of the church, the whole, whole goal of that is that they would be saved. That, that somehow they would feel that they need, that they lost something here. And so when we discipline, even when we discipline our kids, it's not the punishment, it's to teach them. And so you got to remember, we always have three enemies. What are the three enemies? Satan, the world, and the flesh. And this man's flesh was his problem. He was refusing to repent. And so when we are removed from a church body, what that's supposed to do, when we're removed from the church body, we're, we're, we no longer have protection from Satan. In fact, it even goes even further in Scripture that you're not even supposed to pray for him. So he doesn't lose his salvation in a sense, but he must come to his senses for the destruction of flesh. And so it's important that that happens, but not only for, for him, but even for the body of Christ. Because Paul says, cleanse out the old leaven. Leaven speaks of influence. So the church in Corinth had zero influence because of this man. Because of this, what this man was doing. And they flaunted this lifestyle, which was even the Gentiles knew was wrong. One bad apple spoils the whole barrel, right? And so what begins to happen, sin tolerated spreads. And so if it's not confronted, it's accepted as okay. And then it spreads to other parts. And so notice that Paul anchors his appeal for for godliness in the gospel. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And third, therefore, we pursue purity, sincerity, and truth. You have been called to to put off evil and malice, we said. So Christ has set you free from the bondage of sin. And see... Our confrontation to anybody who sinned is done in love, it's done in relationship. And I'm going to be honest, for the most part, over 30 years in ministry, almost every single one has repented that we've had to confront in ministry. Almost every single one of repented. If they didn't repent, they left. I, I didn't have, we didn't have to throw them out or anything else. We didn't have to bring anybody else involved into it. They probably even left. But there have been a few times where we've had to confront sin. We did it privately. We did it with witnesses. And then we've had to take them out. Now, we're not going to bring people on stage and say this person sinned. That's not, that's not the point. We don't want to embarrass them. This member is about redemption. But we've had to, t- had to send some people out. In my 30 years of ministry, I've seen it done a couple times. And it's the believers who just won't repent. And we've seen one of those people come back and re- totally repent. And that's been good. One hasn't had never done it. And I don't know where they're at now. Sin lived is incompatible with gospel lived. Now you say, Sean, we all sin. Yes, but we don't do it. Hopefully you don't, aren't doing it purposely. That you, you, you mourn because you sin. Your sorrow for, for that sin. But sin lives incompatible with the gospel. And, but we're supposed to celebrate our freedom. Christ has set you free. And so when you sin, you have freedom. You can go and receive mercy. You can receive the grace that you need. You repent to the Lord and move on. It's forgiven, right? It's under the blood of Jesus. It doesn't give you the right to continue to do that. But we can, we can repent and we can continue on and go, 
grow in the Lord and get accountability and get help for our sin. If it's something that you're continuing to do, and it's like Paul says, I don't know why I do the things I don't want to do. If you're continuing to do it and having problems, please reach out because we want to help you and there's ways we can help you um, with that sin and get you set free from that. Because you've given it power for so long, guess what's happened? You've become addicted to that sin. You've given it control of your life, and you need help. And there's no condemnation, trust me. We're not going to put shame on you. We're not going to condemn you, but you need help in getting that out. And every one of us in some way and some in another have probably been there, and we need help. So don't continue in your sin because what's going to happen when you continue to do that? Guess who does bring condemnation and shame? The devil. And sin opens up the, the, the door for the enemy to come into your life to bring that condemnation and shame. And I don't know about you, no one likes to feel condemned and no one likes to feel shame. And it's not coming from God, but the devil's going to make it look like it's coming from the Lord or it's coming from others. And guess what you're going to start doing? You're going to start defending why you sin. And then when you defend why you're a sin, you're going to tolerate the sin, you're going to accept the sin, and you're then eventually going to celebrate sin. So get help when you are sinning. Amen? Amen. So Paul explains some borders. He, he wants us to celebrate our freedom because our freedom from sin is glorious. We, we are set free to serve God by bringing him glory and pleasure and joy. But there's sin in this church. And look what he does here. So he starts to explain some borders of our, our, of our friends and in church discipline. He says, don't spend time with people who call themselves brothers, and these are Christians, and practice. Now, the word practice is important. These are people who are continuing and don't see anything wrong with it, right? Now, these aren't people who mess up. These aren't people who, who, who make that mistake and who fall into it even once in a while. These aren't even people who are having issues with sin but don't want to be in sin. These are people who actually are now tolerating it, accepting it, and want it to be celebrated, okay? So he's saying, he says, those, he said, don't spend time with people who call themselves brothers and practice sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, reveler, drunkard, or swindler. So sex, money, possessions, getting drunk, and basically a reveler, someone who, who com- is a complainer, who complains a lot, who gossips, it has no fruit. Okay, so that's what he's talking about there. So he says, don't spend time with them. Don't, don't be around them because sin tolerated. If you are spending time with them in the sense that you're not confronting them in that, guess what happens? You are now tolerating that sin. You are actually helping them be accepted in their sin. And that's wrong. And you become a, a complacent to that. And I know this is a challenge. I'd be naive to think it's all black and white. It means that when we confront those in the body, so if it means if you love me, you're going to confront me, it should be done in love for improvement, increase in someone's life, and not to get back at them, not to put them down, but to help them. And, but he says, emphasize on fellowship and relationship. It means that if they are refusing that confrontation and you've done the one, two, three step that, that Jesus said, don't have a relationship with anymore because that sin can even pop over onto you. Sin has an evil spirit attached to it. In fact, the Bible says there are 14 root sins that a spirit 
is attached to it. A demonic spirit is attached to it. It is spiritual. Sin is spiritual. You're just not messing up with, oh, I, I messed up. and I, I, you're, you're actually dealing with a demonic spirit, most likely. And so that's why it's dangerous. That's why we do not tolerate it. If you see someone sinning, confront them. Confront them. Now Paul says we don't judge the world. Now this is important. He's not talking about the world that way. The world has no way of getting out of their sin. Guess what sinners do? What is that? Sin. Sin. So to get angry at them and get mad at them is, is wrong. Right? Because that's what they do. They have no way. That's why they need Jesus. That's why they need us to tell them about love, that there's a better way. There is freedom in Christ. Amen? And so Paul is, is being strong here, but he's strong for a reason. And the whole reason is all about redemption. The whole reason is to stop sin from being tolerated, to, to show the damaging effects of sin in somebody's life, and that it doesn't spread inside the church. That's his whole part of this. He's not being mean. He's not being angry. He's just saying, you guys are tolerating. You are celebrating. Stop it. Confront the sin. If they don't repent and they refuse to repent and continue and they accept the sin as that's the way they are and they need to do this, then get them out of the church so hopefully for the destruction of their flesh so they will be saved in, in the end times. That's the whole goal. Now it's hard to do that today in our climate. It's hard to do church discipline because you can set somebody out, you can confront them and they can run and go to another church and hide it as long as they can until that church finds out and hopefully they confront them or they can go to a church that accepts it, that accepts the sin. And that's the hard thing about this. So what are the implications of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 for us here at Cornerstone? Number one, we are committed to the glory of God. Therefore, we pursue purity in our lives by being eager to put sin to death. Amen? We put sin to death. So when we see sin, we don't have a part of it. We flee from sin. We don't want any part of it because it's death. It's opposite. It's anti-Christ. Sin is anti-Christ. And, and, and we, we don't want to develop these even Christians can develop deep sin patterns. That's why if you have that, reach out, okay? Because I know you don't want to do that. I know that's not your heart. But there's some things that you have allowed in your life that continue, and it's hard for yourself if, to get out of it, and you're not able to. And we have people that can help you get out. Amen? Because you have been set free. And we want to help with that. And that's our heart here at Cornerstone, is that you will be set free. Number two, we are committed to loving God and loving others. Therefore, when necessary, we pursue the correction and discipline of others. And we proceed from an examined heart. We don't do it with judgment. We don't do it with condemnation. We don't do it with shame. We do it for the purpose of redemption. Proverbs 27, verse 5 says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful words, faithful are the wounds, excuse me, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, the whole heart is not 
love is not saying, you know, this, just, just accepting who they are and what they do. Love is actually saying, you're about ready to fall off a cliff, and I'm going to get in front of you, and I'm going to say something about it. That's what love does. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, and without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. So we're committed to confront. We're committed to confront people in their sins. And not just Pastor Sean, not just the elders, but every one of us should be committed as a believer to see if one, somebody's going off into sin to confront them and say, hey, I'm your brother, I'm your sister in the Lord, I'm here to help. And I want you to know that you're in sin. And like I said, they could be blind, they don't know. They could be in sin and don't even know about it. And we're not here to condemn people. Every single one of us are messed up, right? We've been there. And we're here to help, amen? And number three, we are committed to reaching out to this world around us. Folks are lost and perishing and they need a savior. Savior. Now, friends in the world aren't my closest friends. Okay? My closest friends are believers who love God with all their heart and who can challenge me. But I reach out into our community. There, I have friends who don't know the Lord. And I reach out to them. They're acquaintances. But I reach out to them because I want them to see how I live my life. I'm not going to them and pointing my finger at them at their sin. I'm pointing them to Jesus and show them how I live. It's an opportunity to share the gospel. Amen. So God has called us, you know, maybe if there's, if, if there's a believer and they're a brother and they say they're a brother and they continue to sin, yeah, we're supposed to, we're supposed to hey, confront them. Hopefully they repent. If they don't repent, then, then we, we can't be around them. The Lord tells us not to be around them because it's not, we're not going to accept that. But he tells us to be around the lost because they have no way of knowing. That person knows the truth and is rejecting the truth who we put out, is rejecting Jesus. Those who don't know him don't even know Jesus. They know about him. They don't know his love. They have not experienced that before. And our goal is to reach them and to hang out with them. Jesus did that, right? He reached out to them. The ones he had problems with was the religious leaders who, who refused to, to, to stop their sin and refused to, to accept Jesus. And so that's the whole point. And I, I have a personal plea, and I've said this before. If I ever stray, love me enough to rescue me. Love me enough to speak to me. If you see me sinning, love me enough to come grab me. I need that. Yeah, I may be embarrassed. But it's better than ruining my relationship with the Lord. Yeah, I may not like it. No one likes to be told they're doing something wrong. I just want you to know that. No one does. But there's going to be a day I'm going to thank you for stepping in front of this cliff that I'm about ready to fall on. Amen? See, the chapter 5 is about us, the church, of how we should respond to sin. We're supposed to confront it in love, 
Not in condemnation, not in shame, but the purpose of redemption. And that's the whole heart of God, amen? That we confront this. So if I see you straying and I know you, I'm going to confront you. I remember as a youth party, youth, youth pastor, I would hear about parties going on when mom and dad are out of town. Young people don't keep secrets, okay? They may keep them from you as a parent or a grandparent, but they don't keep secrets well. And when you're a youth pastor, you get to hear them. I would go to that party, sit down on the couch. Because I love them enough to do this. Love them enough to do it. They didn't like it. I ruined their party. But I'm willing to do that for you. I hope you're willing to do that to, to me and to others. That's what the body of Christ is all about. Amen? Love. That's love. Love is not letting you go on your own way. Love is standing up for truth, right? Love is giving this world something better to look at. Right? So when people say Christians shouldn't stand up for... No, you should stand up, but you should do it right. Give them a better way. Not in condemnation, not in shame, not in picketing their sin, but to love them. Next week I'm going to talk about homosexuality. I just want to warn you. I'm going to talk about what God says about it, His Word, and how we should respond as believers. Amen? Not only homosexuality, we're going to deal with a lot of other things than that, but sexual immorality, and how we, because we lived in a sex-crazed world, don't we? Sex-crazed. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazier than it was 10 years ago. Right? They're having to put it all in all the movies. And you're looking at, that didn't have to go there. And so I want to I show you how we can stand up for it in love. How we can love people. And how we can not fall for it. Not tolerate it. Not accept it. And definitely not celebrate it. And it's our job as the church to do that. Jesus never changed who he was to reach somebody else. Jesus never stopped being the son of God because he went to Matthew, the tax collector's party, who's also a heathen, you know. So he never changed who he was. He never bowed down from who he was. He was still holy, righteous, and he spoke that way too. And people changed their lives because of it. Why did they? Because of the compassion that came out of his mouth. The love that he had for people. And the power that was in him. Amen? And guess what? That same love and power is in you and I today. And we can see this world, our world, our city, our nation changed. Because we give them a better way. We're not trying to be relevant to try to be like them, right? No way. That ever works. We're not trying to be relevant. 
We're trying to be God honoring and giving God glory and letting his glory shine and letting Jesus shine through us. And that's how change is going to happen. We'll talk more about it next week. Amen. But we're going to confront sin because sin leads to death. We're going to love you enough to do that. So if we see you doing it, we're going to say, hey, do you know what you're doing? Do you know that's wrong? Do you know that's leading you a a bad path? I'm here to help you. You want to pray? You want to repent from that? Yeah. Let's be those, that type of people to everybody. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your faithfulness to us. And God, I just thank you that you've given us examples on how to be godly men and women, how to be the church. And Father, we don't, we don't, neglect that in Jesus name this is an honor to do that so father we thank you God if we know of somebody who's in sin and we know them personally God and father God help us confront in the right way in a loving way privately and so that we can gain a brother in Jesus name and we thank you father for that in the name of Jesus. Help us in our own lives that we know that if there's sin in our own lives right now, God, that we've been dealing with, Father, we repent of that right now. In fact, if that's you right now and you have sin in your life that you just continue, continue to go and and you've accepted it, repent right now. Say, Father, I, I repent of this. I'm sorry for sinning. I'm sorry for giving it power in my life. And God, I ask you right now, help me. Just pray that right now. Help me get rid of this sin right now. You have Lord Jesus. So I rededicate life to you and I give it to you right now in Jesus' name. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, I'm telling you something. He is the only way to heaven. Jesus said it himself. No man comes to the Father God except through me. And all of us have sinned. The Bible says that. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen, you have no power over your sin. And that sin is going to lead you to death and destruction in your life. Death in relationships. Death in your health. It's going to lead ultimately to death in your spirit. Unless you give your life to Christ. And I love you enough to tell you that. That he loves you. He died for you. The Bible says Jesus loved us while we were yet sinners. While we were still sinning against God. And what doing things wrong. Christ still loved us. And he loves you and he's not mad at you right now. In fact, he's sitting on his edge of his throne saying, come, commit your life to me. I can't make you. I sent my son to die for you so you wouldn't have to sin any longer. So you wouldn't have to have uh, be away from me any longer. He is your father. He is your maker. And he's saying to you, come to me right now because I love you. I've made a way. But you have to make the decision to follow Jesus. And if that's you, if you're online, if you're here right now in this church building, give your life to Jesus Don't let another day go past living in that sin, living in that condemnation, living in that shame. There's a way out. And his name is Jesus Christ. Give him your life today. I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want to pray that prayer with me, if you want to give your life to Jesus, pray this prayer with me right now. 
Repeat it after me. Believe it with all your heart. And Jesus says, you will be saved. Say, Sean, is that all I have to do? That is all you have to do because he gave it all for you. He made a way to serve him. He made a way to follow him as Lord and Savior. This is the first step into amazing life with Jesus. So everyone bow your heads, close your eyes. If you need to pray this prayer for the first time, pray this prayer after me. Say, Father God, I give you my life. I repent of my sin. I want to change my life right now. I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. I've sinned against myself. But I lay it all down. I give you my sin, Lord. And I believe that Jesus, you are the Son of God. And that you came on this earth and took my sin upon yourself and and took the punishment and died on the cross for me. So right now I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I make you the Lord of my life. I give you everything right now. And from this day forward, I will follow you. And I thank you, Jesus, for loving me enough to die for my sins. And I thank you, Jesus, for taking all my sin, my past, my present, my future on the cross so I might be saved and I will serve you for the rest of my life in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.